welcome to Menopause Morph, your time to change. We're here to help you thrive through your menopause, bringing you experts in many fields to help you from perimenopause to menopause and beyond to become the strong, vibrant woman nature intended you to be. Hosted by Pauline McCarthy of the Pearls of Pauline. Pearls of wisdom, compassion, and joy. Welcome to this week's Menopause Morph, your time to change. A few weeks ago, we had the lovely Dana Lavoie talking about Chinese medicine twice, which was really amazing. And we've had so many requests for more information about this. So today we have not Dana back, but another amazing lady, Brodie Welsh. Brodie Welsh is a licensed acupuncturist, board certified herbalist, Chinese medicine expert and self-care strategist. She's the founder of Life in Balance Acupuncture in Corvallis, Oregon where she has been treating patients since 2003. In addition to her clinical practice, Brodie shares her expertise to help women care for themselves with innovative learn-from-anywhere courses, workshops and retreats on stress management, the mind-body connection and Chinese medicine. She's also the creator and host of the podcast The Healthy Curiosity, the podcast that explores what it takes to be well in a busy world. So welcome Brodie. Thanks so much for inviting me on the show, Pauline. It's a pleasure to be here. Lovely. So some of our listeners were asking to have a better description of what yin and yang is. So could you, oh no, before we go into that, we were speaking before we started to record this about you had a very early menopause. So could you give us a little run through about your menopausal experience? Yeah, I can. I'm 40 years old right now and it was about four years ago that I guess I officially crossed that menopausal threshold, which is, of course, ridiculously early. And my experience was very dramatic in that it started off with incredible insomnia. I just could not sleep through the night. I was having palpitations. I was having the worst hot flashes in the world. And I couldn't really figure out what was going on. Like, I'm not 50. I'm not, you know, this is way too early. And apparently, if you go through menopause early, it can be super intense, but short lived, as opposed to the 10 years of hormones gently sort of shifting. So, my experience was quite hellacious. And it was coinciding at a time where I got married to a widower. And so, I found myself suddenly an insta parent of two stepchildren an eight-year-old and a 12-year-old. And between that and my busy clinical practice treating patients, I think something in my body was just like, we're shutting this down. We are not open to the possibility of reproduction anymore. And can't explain why it happened other than the fact that it was very clear that I was moving into a different stage of life. One in which that from a Chinese medicine standpoint indicates that I was dipping into my reserve energy a little too much. I was definitely burning the candle at both ends. I am an action shiro. I, I do too much. And, and I was deep in that addiction of doing as much as possible and not really walking my talk around self-care as much as I could be. And so I think that that played a role. There's also, I, I kind of got my genetic cards that I was dealt I suspect that having a gallbladder that didn't work for 20 years might have something to do with the the fact that I wasn't synthesizing fat properly. And so, and that's cholesterol is, of course, where we get hormones from. And so anyway, I, I have some suspicions about how it came about, but being on the other side of it now, my commitment is to help women not experience the, <laughs> the horrors that I went through and to teach people to 
ingrain the habits of self-care that we need in order to sustain us through a thriving menopause and beyond and to to really help women honor their yin. Well, talking about that, people were asking to explain better more about what yin and yang is. So could you tell us a bit more about that? Absolutely. I love introducing people to Chinese medicine and its central concepts and really the goal of of any acupuncture visit as well as any Chinese medicine intervention is to create balance between yin and yang in the body. And so I think the easiest way to think about that, I think your your previous guest explained it as as fire and water. And and indeed, those are good stand-ins for for yang and yin. So yang is like the active, warm, fiery transformation energy of doing. And yin is the cool, still, restful, dark, and rejuvenating energy of stillness. Another way to think about that is kind of like we know that matter and energy are the same thing. We can think about the stuff that we can touch in our bodies is our yin substance and the processes in our body, our respiration, our digestion, our, our immune system function, that all of those doings are yang. And even within that, we can subdivide that. Nothing's ever one or the other. Everything is both. And so we can subdivide everything. But really, when we think about the yin and yang of our lives, most of us are, like me, are encouraged to overextend, to do beyond kind of what's in our energy budget, right? So that we're, we get a lot of societal praise and success for being so busy and getting so much done, you know, and really that is, you know, we make our days longer by making our nights shorter. We don't do the things that are like tending the garden of ourselves because we're in service of accomplishing stuff, you know, and we don't really think about how taking a break for 15 minutes, we might be able to come back to our doing from a refreshed kind of a way. It's very counterintuitive and we don't really get very much praise for taking a break, taking a nap, doing less than we're humanly capable of, saying no to things. And, you know, and especially women, we're socialized to overextend, to overserve and to and to overachieve, I think. And so really encouraging women that self-care is not selfish and that really honoring your yin requires slowing down. It might require just allowing a different dimension of ourselves to come out. They talk about one is male and one is female. So which is which? Of course, male and female are societal constructions. And so if we think about, I would argue that the yang principle of doing and making it happen is going to be more yang. It's forceful. And yang also has the qualities of being external, whereas yin has a quality of being receptive and internal. And so that like sort of certainly anatomically, that's going to correspond with the female body more than the male body. But just in terms of the yin qualities of intuition, of receptivity, of being gentle and yielding and supportive, like what those are, those are certainly things that women tend to, to have as strengths. And so, of course, all men and women have a blend of both yin and yang. And there's certainly women who are super yang and men who are super yin. And that's a beautiful thing. And we all need both. I have a very yang personality. And, you know, like kind of be coming to terms with the fact that my yin matters also is part of my personal struggle. But sort of within Chinese medicine, we think about wood, fire, earth, metal, and water as the five elements. And that certain people are, are going to be more the fire types and the wood types, which are the, the upward, outward, the leaders that, yeah, yeah, and you're fire. So you're going to be super social and warm and fun to be around. 
um, the wood types are going to be very driven and natural leaders and teachers and people who are who like to grow and learn things all the time. And they're different than the earth mothers, the people who just want to support and be like the people who feed you soup and listen to your troubles and are compassionate, you know, counselor types. Or the water types who are very thoughtful and introspective, who are the philosophers. And then there's the metal types, which are the people who are great with art and aesthetics and structure and clarity. And again, we have all the five elements within us, but how we choose to bring them out, usually one type will dominate. And we can also cultivate one type or one particular kind of energy based on our choices and based on, you know, if you were raised in a household that was rewarded a certain kind of energy that that element might be kind of artificially inflated. And so you might be socialized to be a wood type when you're really more of a water type or anything like that. And the beautiful thing in Chinese medicine is recognizing that all of this is our birthright and that we get to actually, through our daily actions, we can explore these different dimensions of our inner ecosystem and cultivate different elements of ourselves. And in the yin and yang symbol, you can see it in the middle of the Korean flag, they have these two teardrops kind of shapes that join each other and then a little dot in each one. If we take it just male and female, more easy to visualize male and female. We talk about in menopause, oh, the estrogen is going. But we have this testosterone as well. But And many people don't realize that women have testosterone. Yeah, exactly. There's, there's always that little bit of black in the white and a little bit of the white in the black. So yeah, like women do, like we have that little bit of testosterone. And other things that that symbol represents is the fact that life is this dynamic process that we're always changing. And certainly menopause is a time of radical transformation. But the fact that we can also get younger as well as older, right? There's a lot of different ways that 80 can look and that 90 can look and that 60 can look. And, and it's how we show up at these different ages in our lives in large part depends on our daily choices. How are we breathing? How are we moving? How are we nourishing ourselves? Are we doing our joy? Are we, you know, how are we living our daily lives? Because all of that's going to have an impact as to what kind of energy we're cultivating and whether or not we're willing to evolve. That idea of that life is about dynamic growth and that which doesn't change, that which doesn't evolve, becomes stagnant. And just like a stagnant pond doesn't give life, in order to flourish, we need to be fluid in our identity and our sense of self, also in our bodies, right? Like literally physically moving helps us stay healthy. There's this term, 60 is the new 40, maybe because we live longer and, and it's getting younger, or maybe because some of us are taking in this knowledge to make ourselves younger so that we can live a longer life healthier instead of just being old and crippled, but old and healthy, older, older and healthy. <laughs> Absolutely. Chinese medicine is basically a study of optimal aging. One of the beautiful things about Chinese medicine is that we can treat preventatively and we can see where things are going so so that we can stop problems before they become bigger problems. And one of the ways that we do that is with daily self-care. And so that things like Qigong, the energy exercise or energy cultivation or energy skill is one of the ways that we nourish ourselves. So like we can we can feed ourselves, we can breathe ourselves, and we can and we can nourish ourselves by cultivating our chi and that that's one of the ways that we can preserve this special substance called jing that lives in the kidneys basically that's like the sand in your hourglass like when your jing is used up our time is up and so we can actually slow down the rate at which we're consuming our jing the rate at which that sand is flowing through the hourglass by living within our energetic means, like sort of during most of our lives, right? If we're burning the candle at both ends, like I was, that's one of the reasons I think my body went through menopause so early is that it's like something broke, right? It was my rate of consumption dipping into my reserves too much, too often. 
as opposed to living within what I was able to cultivate on a daily basis. And so I'm a big fan of doing the things that are going to help us preserve our energy and our strength for the long haul. You were talking about this jing. That is somehow connected to this thing called the cycles of seven and eight. Can you tell us a bit more about that? Yeah, absolutely. So if we can imagine that you come into this life with DNA from mom and dad, and if you believe that you also come in with a mission or purpose that would said to be implanted into your jing. So, but the jing basically gives you the raw materials, like the body that you're going to have, that your genetics, your unique genetic endowment or your potential. And so you come in with that and then that's like kind of who you are and that you can't not be. So regardless of how you're socialized, there's some part of you that from day one is just that. It's what you come in with. It is in Chinese medicine, it's said to live in the kidneys. The Jing also has to do with our will, capital W's. What is ours to really do? Our, our sense of dharma or our sense of purpose and our uniqueness, right? Our special, what makes you you and unique and distinct is said to live in the Jing. And so how that Jing gets expressed is going to change, right? Obviously, you're different as an adolescent than you are when you're a child. You're different. So if we think about age seven, age 14, age 21, age 35, roughly for women, it's it, we go through these cycles of seven and men go through cycles of eight, which makes sense, right? Because men take longer to mature. So women, <laughs> women go through, through puberty earlier. Men are, you know, it's more like age 16 rather than age 14. But really, if we think about age 35 is when progesterone drops off like crazy. And when we think about 49, roughly 50, menopause, obviously things that the hormonal situation looks a lot different then. And so you literally are showing up differently in this next phase of your life, in this next chapter of your life, which we can call your next cycle of seven. And so I think about that not only from a biological perspective, but also from a metaphysical one of like, okay, this is the phase of my life where I'm focused on this, you know, like this project, this parenting, this spiritual journey, this whatever it is that, you know, fitness or, you know, that whatever it is that's like your new chapter, then your physiology actually rearranges to support that and that and cooperating with that change rather than fighting it is is really super important. It's like, yeah, we're, we're never going to be the way we were when we were a teenager. And thank God, right? I mean, like, who wants to go back there? But but the fact that the Jing, instead of being used up like sand through an hourglass, the Jing is converted to wisdom when it's combined with our consciousness and stored in the brain. Wow, this is really quite amazing because I don't know about other people's experiences. Maybe they haven't noticed it, but this was something that I noticed in my life very clearly was like these seven year cycles. When I was seven, I got a lot of spiritual experiences and I used to see spirits and they would come into the classroom when I was at school and talk to me. And the teacher actually sent me to be tested for my hearing because I was listening to these people instead of listening to the teacher and she'd be calling my name and I'd, I'd just be focused on on this. I, I mentioned it to somebody and then they were freaked out and nobody else could see it. So then I learned not to tell anybody. But I got a lot of guidance that changed my life completely from the age of seven. And then when I was 14, again, I had another other spiritual experience which changed my life. And I went into acting. I learned to play the guitar and things like that. And then when I was 21, I got married. And when I was 28, I got divorced. Well, your cycles of seven were very literal. <laughs> very, 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 like on the dot almost. When I was maybe like, yeah, it would be 35, then I, I started to realize like, I've got this seven year, what I call chapters. It was actually when I was 35, people were, I had such a very interesting life. Many, many people were saying, you have to write your story of your life. You have to write a story of your life. As I was thinking about it, I thought, 
wow this is like i've got like seven year chapters you do <laughs> yeah so for most people it's not necessarily quite so exact but um but yes that that principle is exactly what i'm talking about you you went from being married to being divorced obviously your whole life rearranges it's not just that one change it's everything else as and well and it's very interesting what you see about women have the seven year cycle and men have the eight and women going through like going into their puberty usually they're going between 12 and 14 into their puberty and the boys are a couple of years later and it's like when exactly. my boys were at school and I, d I didn't really notice it when i was that age but now that i'm an adult going into the classroom and you see all these girls that are starting to have boobs and, and look like young women. And it's these little boys in the same class. And it's like, The eighth what? grade dance. Yeah. Mm, yeah. <laughs> it's like a head taller than the boys and girls. Oh, it's, it's very sad. But it's, so that's very, in, very interesting about that. One of the things I wanted to ask you personally myself and some of our listeners have been asking is about stress. How Chinese medicine thinks about stress, how it can cope with stress. Because we have quite a plague in the West of stress. Western medicine now is only beginning to realise how much stress is destroying the body. Like for me, I have a big belly and this is like the cortisol stress belly, but there's many other illnesses are caused by stress. So could you tell us what the Chinese medicine thinking about that is? I could go on for days oh, about okay. stress. Um, yes, <laughs> absolutely. Let's talk about it. So actually, the, the first online course I ever produced was Calm Yourself, Self-Care Strategies for Stress and Anxiety, because I felt so strongly in my years of treating patients in clinic, we know that 80% or 80 to 90, depending on what, what study you're looking at, of all things that people seek medical help for are made worse by stress, if not caused by stress directly. And so, and, and certainly when we're thinking about menopause and all of the symptoms that go with it, the stress hormones and the sex hormones come out of the same bucket, right? I don't know if your listeners are familiar with the term pregnenolone steel, but essentially, our, you know, the main hormones involved in the stress response, adrenaline and cortisol, which get kicked on anytime we perceive that there's an emergency. These are the hormones that are designed to get us out of danger, which biologically for millennia have been running from tigers to ensure our survival. And in that process, we stop digesting our food. We stop, our immune system powers down because who cares about fighting a cold if you need to run from a tiger and you know who, need, who cares about healing that cut on your finger and, and all the stress chemistry, which allows us to get out of danger. But most of the dangers that we are responding to in our modern society are psychological. We're not actually then running to, you know, to, to burn off that stress chemistry. So in response, when the body has to pump out DHEA and all this other stuff to like kind of bring us back into balance. Meanwhile, we're just marinating in too much adrenaline and too much cortisol, which can, of course, mess with cortisol increases insulin. And that can screw up our blood sugar and lead, potentially lead us towards diabetes can obviously tax the heart. It can lead to high blood pressure. Certainly, the body's always going to prioritize us escaping from tigers over making babies or just keeping the body juicy, right? You know, the things like hot flashes and night sweats and lubrication of our joints and of our genitals and our eyes, our, our brains, you know, like all the things that need moisture in order to function. That's what in Chinese medicine we're going to consider yin. When we're constantly in this yang fight or flight mode, we're really depleting our yin like crazy. And so in Chinese medicine, we think about that anytime we're under stress, it's the liver that is responsible for the free and easy flow of energy in the body. 
So anytime we're not feeling free and easy, like where you can just wander from thing to thing in our lives with total calm and equanimity, that's going to be some degree of liver energy or liver chi stagnation. And liver chi stagnation can be any emotion that we, that like anytime we feel irritable, anytime we notice that we're not breathing well, because the liver meridian comes up into the diaphragm. And so if you find yourself sighing, if you find yourself short of breath or like all the energies up here in the body, that's the liver chi stagnating, tight neck and shoulders, migraine headaches, waking up between two and three in the morning. These are all signs of liver chi stagnation. Also, the energy is rising to the yang area of the body, the, the upper part of the body, instead of being down grounded, you know, in the kidneys and in the lower body. And so being in that constant state is not good for us. And, and so when the liver chi stagnates, it can affect the heart. It can make us feel anxious. It can, the heart houses the mind in Chinese medicine, so it can deplete the memory. Or if the liver is hoarding the chi, it's not passing it on to the heart. Meanwhile, we're robbing from the adrenals, which could be, which could look well, all kinds of things, but certainly depleting our energy, making us feel tired, not great for bones, not great for really everything that has to do with aging, which is the other thing Jing is responsible for, is everything that declines with age so that our eyesight, our, our hearing, our brains, the solidness of the bones, all of that, according to Chinese medicine, is at risk when the liver is like a demanding toddler throwing a temper tantrum, the mom is going to get exhausted. And that's the relationship between the liver and the kidneys in Chinese medicine. And for a lot of people, stress can attack the digestive system, right? People feel the stress in their guts, you know, any digestive disturbance ranging from acid reflux to irritable bowel syndrome to just any kind of indigestion that comes and goes can be certainly stress related. And in Chinese medicine, the beautiful thing is we don't have to treat every single thing. It's like we can treat the one pattern that's at the root of all of the different systems or or symptoms in the body. And so this is a beautiful, elegant thing about Chinese medicine. But it's also the kind of thing that we can do a lot without any other practitioners involved. And the fastest way that we can regulate our nervous systems and make sure that we're out of fight or flight mode and back into rest and repair mode is through the breath. Because the breath is the bridge between the things that happen, you know, like when we're, when we're breathing shallowly, we're sending a message to the body that we need to be in this emergency mode. And when we bother to slow our breath down and make it long and slow and deep and easy and gentle, we're able to actually cross the bridge back into that rest and repair mode, which we really need to be operating from most of the time in order to be well and in order to not be dipping into those reserves that age us quickly. And so really, if someone was interested in getting younger through menopause and maintaining a sense of vitality, the fastest and easiest way to do that is to develop a breathing practice. That's very good to know. People are not seeing this on a video on the podcast. So could you describe to us how they would do that? I had this thing that somebody sent me on Facebook. It's a square and it blows up one, two, three, four like that and then folds back down again. One, two, three, four. And you're meant to breathe to that, you know, like breathe in. Right. It's visualizing, uh, helping you visualize the timing of your breath, to make it steady and slow and even. Well, actually, I have available uh, for free on my website this Common Centered Bundle, which is a way, it's a breathing meditation audio where I walk you through exactly how to drop into a deep, relaxed breathing state. And coupled with that is a little Qigong for people who are interested in breathing while moving. Easiest way to do it, I think, with Qigong is to inhale as the arms float up overhead and to exhale as we guide the energy down using the hands as kind of like magnets to to move the energy down 
towards the lower belly. And so really, if people are more interested in a, in a moving practice, if it's hard to sit still, that Qigong meditation could be useful. But otherwise, a tip that I can give you right now is to just move the breath deeper into the belly and think about just become aware of your breath, because a lot of times just tuning into where it is in your body, it will naturally deepen. And then, to, as you're saying, to make it even, that's the next quality to look for. And just focusing on like, so whatever an inhale is, just count, count whatever number it is for you easily and make your exhale the same length. And, and eventually there's some more of advanced practices of lengthening the exhale can actually help ratchet you down into a more relaxed state. But really an easy place to start if breathing is a new practice, you want to do it gently. It can take a while to relearn how to breathe if you're habitually in, in a fight or flight mode. Yeah, it can feel like a very unusual skill. Um, but I often have people lie down on their backs, put their hands on their bellies, and actually feel the low belly rise as you inhale and fall as you exhale, because that will allow the diaphragm to, uh, to have more space. Excellent. So they can get that on your website. That's brodywelsh.com backslash breathe. Yes. I'll put that in the show notes. So if anybody's listening that want to take advantage of those free gifts from you, that would be excellent. I'm going to have a look at it myself. I can't remember now when I was speaking with Dana Lavoie a few weeks back that I mentioned that I used to do Qigong. I learned it in Manchester, England. And I was doing it for two years. And it was called Wild Goose Technique. There are many different techniques. There are, yeah. And it cost a lot of money to go for these lessons. And then I went to Bulgaria and I got caught up busy and I stopped doing them. And now I regret it very much. So if you can take this advantage from Brody here and get free stuff, then why not start it off? If people want to learn Qigong from home, I have a class that can teach them that. For less than the cost of a visit to a healthcare provider of pretty much any kind, you can learn Qigong from the comfort of your living room without having to get sweaty or... Um, or find a teacher. And it's, uh, yeah, teaching Qigong is a huge passion of mine. And it's so empowering. I think I'll be signing up for that. Great. And then I'll do it for a few weeks. And then one week I interview a specialist. And then next week I give some blah, blah, some pearls of Pauline, pearls of wisdom from Pauline. So I'll do it for a few weeks. And then one of my episodes of Pearls of Pauline, I'll talk about how I'm getting on with the Qigong. <laughs> oh, I'd love to hear it. You know, a, a lot of times when we think about menopause, we think about the symptoms that women experience that are so uncomfortable, right? The hot flashing, the night sweats, the insomnia and all that. Qigong is amazing for cardiovascular health. And of course, the cardiovascular health and bone loss are two of the major things that estrogen helps protect us against and that we need to be concerned about later on in life. I was just researching for this conference that I'm presenting at that in a meta-analysis of 35 articles, including 2,250 cardiovascular disease patients that doing Qigong can reduce stroke risk by up to 41% and coronary heart disease risk by 22%. It can drop triglyceride levels. It can help with depression and physical function, all according to that. It can basically help with energy, pain, sleep, depression, autonomy, as well as just feeling in tune with yourself, brain volume and cognitive function, and as well as immunity, just all kinds of things. Qigong is like all the benefits of meditation and all the benefits of exercise combined in one. So I'm a huge fan of it as just a, a quick and easy practice that can be phenomenal to be a, a step towards empowering people to take care of themselves. Well, that sounds like the ticket for me. And do you have any other things that you could tell us uh, that we can help us to improve our memory? You are saying there that Qigong would help the memory, but anything else? 
Well, Qigong is helpful for memory, but I think it's important, again, like when we think about the yin and yang of memory, right, that the yin part is sleep. Sleep is where memory is consolidated. And so we often forget that, like when we sleep, the brain gets, it's a time where like we're just learning this about sleep and we're just learning about the brain. Like only in 2016 did we learn that the brain has a lymphatic system that's connected to the lymphatic system of the rest of the body through something called the glymphatic system. And of course, Ayurveda and Chinese medicine have known this for years, but basically that this idea that part of how the brain cleans off the plaque is in sleep. And so sleep is really essential to consolidate memory, which is why it's never a good idea to cram for a test the morning of. It's like you need to go into that yin mode in order to to really absorb it. And so for people who are struggling with memory or who are concerned about memory, making sure that you're getting excellent sleep is really key. And for a lot of people would say, well, yeah, I'd love to be getting excellent sleep. How do I do that? That requires going to regulating your nervous system. And that requires daily habits including things like qigong and breathing. Another favorite practice of mine that can help with sleep, as well as calming the nervous system, and thus, by extension, memory, is going to be self-massage. And that, you know, especially self-massage with oil. This is a practice that comes from the Ayurvedic tradition or the traditional medicine of India, where essentially you are slathering yourself with copious amounts of oil, moving towards the heart, long strokes on limbs, circular strokes on joints, And really, you're moving the blood, you're moving the lymph, you're moving, and you're getting kind of each layer of tissue with your intention, and that can help move and detoxify the body in general. And also, really, it's like applying this layer of yin to the nervous system to help us stay calm and relaxed and get an excellent night's sleep. If you do it before bed, it's actually one of those things that can be super helpful with hot flashes that may seem like a paradoxically easy solution to just put oil on your body, but If you do this for a couple of weeks in a row and you really make it a self-love practice, it's like going and getting a massage from a practitioner. It's talking to your entire nervous system because, of course, the skin is so sensitive. And that's the way that as mammals, we can calm ourselves down is through the oxytocin that's released from hugs and from cuddling and physical contact. So giving ourselves this lovely self-massage before bed can be an excellent step towards getting good sleep. You could even do it after an Epsom salt bath or before an Epsom salt bath, which again can contribute to detoxification, but also offer the body some awesome absorbable magnesium, which just sucks us down into a state of relaxation, lets us let go. What kind of oil would you recommend? Because when you were talking about that, I have this magnesium oil that I put onto my joints before I go to bed. And I'm thinking, oh, maybe I could do the whole body with that. Well, I can't speak to the dosage in terms of magnesium of what that would be like if you were to do it on your whole body. But traditionally, if you tend towards feeling cold, sesame oil is an excellent choice. Almond oil can also be helpful. If you tend to overheating, coconut oil or sunflower oil are going to be more appropriate. But really, any kind of unrefined or or any kind of, of oil that hasn't been heavily processed is going to be good. Anything that you can put in your body to eat. Yeah, I use coconut because it's so easy. You know, it comes out in a solid state, but then as you put it on, it liquefies. But jojoba is also another really neutral one. I'm writing all this down. How do you spell jojoba? (laughs) J-O-J-O-B-A. You were talking about the Epsom salt bath because I was imagining this in my brain like, oh, if you cover yourself in oil, like it's going to be slimy and slinky going into your bed. Yeah. So maybe it would be good to have the Epsom salt bath after that and then wash off the oil. 
Well, the idea is to leave, you know, you, it's okay to take a, a warm bath or shower. Not a great idea to use soap in that warm bath or shower because you do want the oil to be like sealing your nervous system in this, in this layer of calm, really. You know, if you can imagine wind, like wind is this frenzied energy that's, that, that's fast and busy and changing and moving and doing. And if you can imagine wind hitting a puddle of oil, it just stops, right? It's like the oil just absorbs that frenzied energy and it, it's heavy and, and, and grounding and allows that to, to calm down. And so, so too with the nervous system. So it is actually, you can do it and then get into an Epsom salt bath or a warm shower. And then when you get out, just pat yourself dry gently so you don't scrape the oil off and don't use any cleansing products. You know, oil actually emulsifies grime. So it is actually cleansing the body to just rub oil into it and to get friction going with it. You don't actually need soap except for pits and parts, particularly. During the night, will the body start to absorb that oil? Yeah, it's great for the skin. It's great for the muscles. Yeah. When I put the magnesium oil, especially in my hands, because I have this rheumatoid arthritis, just recently started to get a knobbly bit. One of my interviewees suggested to use this magnesium oil. And when I put it on and I go to bed, my hands are kind of, you know. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Oily. Yes, basically they're oily. Right. But when I wake up in the morning, my hands are dry. And I'm thinking, did the oil go on the sheet or did the oil get absorbed into my body? <laughs> yeah, people forget that the, the skin is not only a barrier, but it's an, oil, it's an organ of absorption. And so really feeding anything into our skin that has a bunch of chemicals, it's like feeding it directly into the bloodstream or into the liver. So consider, you know, like that I'm a big fan of oil versus lotion because really you don't need the preservatives at all. Just more for the liver to sort out. Exactly. So we're getting near the end of our time. Are there any last pearls of wisdom you would like to pass on to our listeners? Well, just I always like to remind people that you are a dynamic field of energy and that your self-care choices matter and that it's never too late to feel young and vital. And so even if you're feeling like you're in transition, and you're not quite sure what's going on with your body, and that it just feels like chaos. And of course, mood can go nuts as well. And it's like that, that it's like that is where drawing on the stability of self-care habits can be incredibly sustaining and supportive. And so it's the kind of thing where just that you owe it to yourself to line up behind yourself and pick you during, during this phase of your life that it's a self-care is not selfish. It's something that will allow you to show up and give your gifts and be more present for the people in your life. And that really you have a choice about how you want to feel to a large degree. There's so much that we can do to empower ourselves. And that if definitely there's times when we need help and definitely seek out that help, and that's part of caring for the self. But that a lot of times that there's, there's this compound interest idea. The things that we do every day will have a compound effect. And so try breathing, try doing self-massage, try think of one micro change that you can make that feels easy and repeat it over and over again and then take the next step. And that I am delighted to support you in this process. So feel free to reach out and be in touch. Thank you very much. And so if people want to get in contact with Brody, they can contact her at her website. It's called brodywelsh.com or on Facebook. She has facebook.com slash brodywelsh and her podcast is called A Healthy Curiosity and that is on iTunes and I presume it will be on the other podcast sites like Stitcher Radio. It's everywhere. Yep, it's on Stitcher, Google Play and all that. But of course I will put this in the show notes. 
So, Rode, it's been wonderful having you here. Thank you very much. I've really appreciated being able to talk with you and be here with your listeners. Thanks, Pauline. Thank you. And as usual, we are not giving out medical advice. If you want medical advice, go to your medical practitioner. And failing that, we'll see you next week. Bye. Thanks for listening to Menopause Morph, your time to change. If you've enjoyed the program, be sure to subscribe to the next one and please leave a rating and review on iTunes to help us spread the message about thriving through the menopause. To get a free ebook, more menopausal resources, and to connect with Pauline, please visit www.menopausemorph.com. 